Well, good morning, everyone. You're tuned to Community Radio 3CR. Time is just after 7.30. And, uh, of course, it's time for the 3CR Gardening Show. My name's Pam Vardy. First up, a very good morning to A.B. Bishop. Good morning, A.B. Oh, good morning, Pam. I have to say, can you just not give us a few more degrees? If we've (laughs) got to come in here so early, can it just be, you know, I don't know, 12 or something? Wouldn't Uh, it be nice? Wouldn't it be lovely? We were just talking before it was uh, minus one at your place and I'm not far away. It was minus one at my place and my car's parked under a a carport and usually doesn't get frosty. And this morning I set off and I thought, fantastic, windscreen's clear. Silly Billy me put the um, um, just went to clean it a bit with the water and of course it iced straight up. So oh. I'm like, damn! So I'm driving down the road looking through about a, a centimeter oh, gap, <laughs> just avoiding all the kangaroos. But yeah, it certainly has been um, very very chilly, and um, we, we were trying to decide whether we were just getting old, and that's why <laughs> we feel the cold so much, or whether it really has been a, a colder than usual winter. But um, oh, it definitely has. It has, yeah. And I know that um, the garden certainly suffering. And I'm sure we'll get into that a bit later, but um, yeah, no, it's 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 been chilly, that's for sure, and dry. Yes, yes, absolutely dry. So um, I have to get out there today and water actually, because that little drizzle that we had over the last couple of days, I'm pretty sure I wouldn't have done very much at all. So, no. Yes, going going to be out there watering this afternoon. Yes, I mean particularly, I mean you know I planted a couple of trees in autumn, you know, thinking yeah, autumn's a great time to. Give them a start, rain, yep, and then no rain at all, and I'm I'm having to madly give them some deep watering, trying to remember to do it in this cold weather. Oh, why is it so hard to remember? We do, just automatically equate cold with wet for some reason, and I know. of course that's just not not the case. And of it? course the ground, the the grass is wet in the mornings. Yeah, so you know my shoes get wet, and then I forget that the actual. You know, garden itself yep. isn't getting any moisture down it's, deep. That's right. Yeah, and so what did you plant? I uh, just a uh, couple of couple more apple trees. Oh, apples! Is it to After replace my... the big, big gum? <laughs> um, it's down in, in that corner of the yep. garden. Yep. yep. Lovely. Yep. So you got a bit more light in there now. Yep. 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 And uh, a couple more natives along the driveway. Oh, terrific! Because so, um, I'd lost two of them yep. thanks to rabbits. Oh. But uh, anyway, so they've all got guards around them. Oh, okay, good. (laughs) I'm defying the rabbits at the moment, (laughs) but I've got to remember to water. Yep. Yep. Good morning, Penny Woodward. Morning, Pam. Morning, listeners. It wasn't quite as cold at our place, being near the water, but mm. um, my I have a dedicated gas car, and for the first time in ages, I can't remember the last time it happened, it came up with a signal saying warming the gas when I turned the, the thing on. So it was obviously cold enough so that the gas wasn't feeding through quite properly. Oh, um, so. okay. Oh. Yeah, so you knew it so was th- cold. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Well, I was chatting right. with um, Doug from um, Ocean Grove, whose garden I um, helped oh, with yes. last year and who's booked me again this year. And um, he was saying that they've actually had a couple of frosts down there. Yeah. Which yeah. really yeah. is We've, quite unheard of, isn't really, it? The other morning, um, my husband and I ride our bikes quite often, first thing in the morning. And um, the other morning, I, my hands didn't warm up and, and I wear really thick gloves, you know, proper cycling gloves, until about three quarters of the way through the thing. When we got back, we found out it was minus two. Oh. And this is in summers, next, right next to the water. And what yes. time so was that? So not at midnight? No, no. It was about, <laughs> about 7.30 okay, yeah, yeah, in yeah. the morning. And, and there was obvious frost around, but there often is, mm. or not often, but it's not unusual in the paddocks that we, that we ride past. But... Um, 
it was just that much more colder. You could just tell by your extremities. Yeah, yeah. And <laughs> Nose ha- and hands and toes. Oh, for sure. And pa- Pam, how's your garden going with the frost? Well, I, I was just saying any before. Yes, I'm afraid so. Well, I'm, I'm just obviously leaving everything, trying to not look at it, trying to not feel miserable. But I think there'll be a few replacements I'll have to – and I'll have to rethink what I put in. You know, things that I've had for, for – three or four years and lulled into, you know, oh, that yeah, false sense and, of security. But sometimes once they get, with a lot of plants, once they get big enough, they will survive. And that's, I guess, one of the really important messages that, that you need to get out is yep. don't cut them back too soon. Oh, mm. no. So because they may well still be live down in the core. In the, mm, around, yes, around exactly. The base. And if you cut them back, they'll think about putting on new growth and, and then, frost will come along. That's and right. Then you get will again. kill your plants. Yeah. So yep. you really need to give them time. Yep. Well, so <clears> I've... I'm just crossing fingers and toes and anything yeah. else to hopefully most of them will come back. I mean, some some I know get hit every year and I know they come back. They're fine. It's it's the few odd ones that have been hit unusually this year when we got down to minus three. That that was the oh one yeah, that really a couple it. of Saturdays ago. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. that was pretty it's probably special. The same day we were yeah. out riding. Yes, probably. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, I'll just wait and see. So um, how's yours been? Well, it's interesting because we every year we struggle trying to get passion fruit established and put in enough growth before it starts cooling down really quickly. And this year we planted quite early and I've trellised them and they look amazing. And I thought we are not losing passion fruit this year. So I covered them with two layers of the frost cloth. Right. Um, from top to toe. So we're talking like eight metres by, you know, however high the um, thing is, you know, two and a half metres of double layer frost cloth. And, they are hanging in there, I think. The the leaves finally succumbed and have gone floppy, but they haven't gone black, so I don't think the okay. frost actually got to them. But um, I think the stems are going to be okay. So I've yep. just got my fingers crossed for that. Um, Bacchasia citriodora, the lemon-scented uh, myrtle, has um, I made the mistake of, of pruning that probably a bit earlier. And all I did was take off the, um, you know, just a, a bit to bring the size down and um, took some flowers off and that put on a little bit of new growth obviously too oh, late and yes. so that's gone but the rest of it is fine which okay. you know for these plants that come from New South Wales and Queensland I'm always surprised that they mm. don't mind you know I've got the native lime which is out there in the in the absolute open mm. and perfectly fine you know not a care in the world it has been you but know it can depend on which native lime it is though because you get there are some desert limes and there are some um, you know, probably warmer, warmer yeah, climate yeah, lines yeah, yeah. That, that you do need to be more careful of. So, yeah, sorry. I've, yeah, no, no, to interrupt, that's absolutely but I just right, have yeah. experienced that in my own garden where I've some of them cope with some, it. Some cope with full sun, uh, and but some actually need shade, and some will cope with frost. And yeah, some, some produce. So, yeah, yeah you need to just check shade, that's where, right, yeah. which, which native, yeah, well, it's, it's not the desert one, so yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and then, of course, the um, salvia Anthony Parker, which was looking gorgeous and hanging onto its flowers and, you know, a metre high. I've yes. got a whole row of that in pots next to the glass house. And um, it's been looking terrific. The birds been loving came out that morning. And, of course, it looks delightful at first because it's just covered, you know, purple flowers covered in this gorgeous frost. And then you come back 20 minutes later and everything's black. Yeah. So that's that's been, um, yeah, it's been interesting seeing mm. what's, what's hanging in there and, and and what's not so yeah yeah it's um 
Yeah, it's, it's it's a bit tricky, but I, I love all these learning experiences, you know, that, oh, that, that most people refer to as mistakes yeah. because you really, that's when you learn so much. And I'd never grown, as odd as it might seem to some, um, I'd never grown salvias before. Mm. Um, obviously, I've grown sage in the, in the, yeah. in the, in the um, veggie garden, but not the salvias. And um, yeah, a friend gave me some cuttings and, you know, they're perfect for pots. I don't I don't put any um, exotic plants in the ground at our place, being no, in the can't. environmental living zone. Yeah, I just keep them in pots and kind of close to the house and make sure I would never plant anything that's overly seedy and that sort of stuff. But, um, yeah, so it's been really lovely. And because the um, the salvias and the, the sages, and you'd know this, Penny, they have that particular chemical which, you know, makes them deer-proof and our found out rabbit-proof. And the rabbits have just not touched them at all. Yes. So they're the one plant I've realised that I can I can grow outside the fences um, and have not have them eaten. And aren't you joy. excited that there's over a thousand different kinds <laughs> and varieties I that am. you can choose but from? I, I like I like blues and whites. I, I don't yeah. like to get too carried away with my colour scheme in the garden. But um, I've got a gorgeous red and black one. Oh, at the, okay, yeah, at the moment, and it's lovely. Yeah, and there's another one with sort of almost. Oh, it's a funny, almost not quite lime green, but it's a softer, softer than lime green colour, and. The flowers are purple, but oh, they're yes, in, in little yes. hoods. It's salvia discolour, I think. Um, not a really showy one, but it is just gorgeous. Yeah. The colours are superb. Mm, so, I'm, yeah, my salvias are looking – because I really don't have frosts. Yeah. And they're just looking fabulous. Yeah, it's incredible, isn't it? I mean, yeah. when you look up uh, plant labels and see when their flowering months are, you know, you get the set period between X and Y months. But really, if plants are happy, mm. they, the flowers do hang on, don't they? Oh, they do. Well, if you, if you don't get frost, you get salvias in flower right through winter. Yeah, yeah. So it's wonderful. perfect plant. Yeah, yeah. And with your salvias, if you had walked out there and seen the frost on the leaves and immediately got the hose out and watered them, yes. they would probably have been okay oh, because okay. it's in the th- Thawing, yeah, that's the problem. That's, that's that the causes problem. Yeah. that turns them black. Yeah. So, yeah, okay. keep that in mind. Yeah, I will time. for next year. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> but when, when I finally get round to pruning them back, but yeah, very exciting to have plants that rabbits. The trouble need. is to to convince yourself to go out there at six a.m. Yes, <laughs> on a minus three degree morning <laughs> yeah. to get the hose on, yeah. yes. <laughs> and the the hose may well be frozen. Yes, exactly. <laughs> Great thought, though. <laughs> oh, dear. Okay, I'm going to get to uh, some community announcements. There are a couple of things taking place, which I need to remind people about. Uh, now, firstly, uh, today, would you believe, is the um, Heritage Fruit Tree Grafting Day down at Werribee Park Heritage Orchard. Uh, <clears throat> now, there'll be um, volunteers uh, there. They've been uh, honing their grafting skills uh, so that visitors can watch grafting demonstrations, then mix and max, match varieties of their choice with rootstock to suit their garden. Now, experts will be on hand uh, to help, whether you're planning to train an espaliered tree, grow miniature trees in a pot, or extend your harvest. Now, uh, <clears throat> the whole uh, day is taking place, as I said today, 10 a.m. through to 3 p.m., uh, it's at Werribee Park Mansion, uh, well, at the homestead. You enter via Gate 5, K Road in Werribee. Now, it's a free entry today. Uh, trees uh, can be grafted to order from $15. Scion uh, is $3 each. Now, there'll also be um, orchard uh, tours, a chance to look around the amazing market garden run by the local Karen Burmese community. 
Uh, there'll be other growers with stalls on the day and the CWA will be providing um, food and hot drinks. So that's all happening today. As I say, uh, to enter, go via Gate 5, K Road in Werribee. It's at the homestead and it's free entry today. Now, uh, also coming up, uh, the winter plant sale uh, from the Cranbourne Friends of the Royal Botanic Gardens is coming up on Saturday and Sunday, 22nd and 23rd of July, 10 till 4 on both days. The location, of course, is the Royal Botanic Gardens in Cranbourne, 1000 Bellato Road there in Cranbourne. They'll have a wide range of Australian plants in tubes and larger pots will be for sale, priced from $3. And, of course, uh, if you go down for that plant sale, it's also an opportunity to have a, a good wander through the Australian garden. Now, while we're talking about uh, Cranbourne Botanic Gardens, um, they have an art exhibition coming up. This is entitled Native Seduction. It's a, a botanical art exhibition, and it's going to be held uh, during the month of August. So uh, the display will be open daily in the visitor centre. Uh, the paintings have been created by the Botanical Illustrators Group of the Cranbourne Friends of the Royal Botanic Gardens, Victoria. Now, works by several of their tutors is also included. There'll be a variety of mediums and techniques, and uh, including watercolour, coloured pencil, pen and ink and oil. All paintings are for sale, and commission from the sales go to supporting the Cranbourne Gardens. Uh, they will also have an artist uh, present each Sunday from 10 till 2pm, so it's an opportunity to get up close, ask some questions while watching how the artist develops their work. So that would be great. Uh, and on Wednesdays, the 2nd and 16th of August, artists will be in attendance for an informal talk between 11am and 12 noon. Uh, if anyone's interested in, uh, in joining that botanical illustration group, they do meet to paint and draw at the Cranbourne Gardens on the first and third Wednesday of the month from 10 till 3, and they also have a variety of workshops and talks held throughout the year. Okay, so uh, that's all happening, uh, as I say, down at Cranbourne Botanic Gardens for the whole month of August. So uh, do, uh, do think about wandering down and having a good look at that one and enjoying the Australian Garden. Now, just two more for me to mention. These are all uh, taking place down at Burnley Gardens and they're organised by the Friends of Burnley Gardens. Now, they both take place on Saturday the 5th of August uh, one is being held in the morning, the other in the afternoon. So firstly, the morning one is fruit tree pruning with Chris England. So this is uh, a workshop where you learn to prune different types of fruit trees, apples, pears, peaches, nectarines, plums, citrus, learn to keep trees healthy and to a workable height and to recognise the different types of growth and prune for maximum fruit. Now it's a hands-on workshop, a small group, so it's for beginners or as a refresher for experienced pruners. Chris will demonstrate pruning techniques in the Burnley Gardens Orchard and then you'll have a go under his watchful eye. Now, uh, as I said, it's Saturday the 5th of August. Time is 10am till 1pm. So it's a three-hour workshop. 
Cost, members of the friends group $50, non-members $65. This includes morning tea uh, and uh, payment must be made in advance. You need to uh, BYO clean secateurs. All the plant material will be supplied and uh, please wear closed shoes for health and safety requirement. The venue, of course, is Burnley Campus, 500 Yarra Boulevard in Richmond, and bookings are essential. To book, uh, you can go to friends.burnley at gmail.com or telephone 9035-6815. That's 9035-6815. Now, uh, in the afternoon of that same day, so in fact you have an opportunity for doing two workshops if uh, you're interested and staying there for the day, but the afternoon workshop is a truffle seminar and uh, this has been uh, led by Noel Fitzpatrick who is uh, a well-known truffle consultant, a Victorian truffle farmer and also a Burnley graduate. So it's going to cover all aspects of truffle growing including choosing the right site, soil type, host tree and truffle life cycle. There'll also be a discussion and demonstration of truffle cooking techniques with truffle devotee Susan Burns. The seminar concludes with afternoon tea and truffle tasting and you can also purchase fresh, fresh truffles at a discount on the day. Now, this will be held in the hall at Burnley Campus, as I mentioned, Saturday 5th of August, this time 3pm through to 6pm. So again, a three-hour seminar. Cost, again, for members, uh, $65. For visitors, $80.00. And, of course, plenty of parking available in the boulevard. Now, there's same um, contact details for bookings, which are essential. Uh, friends.burnley at gmail.com or phone 9035-6815. Okay, Penny, you're off. Are you giving a talk this morning? or No, it's a, it's a bit of a long story, which I might back and tell on 3CR when I've got this one sorted out. Okay. It's a, it's a All right. Sounds thing. intriguing. Yeah. Well, okay. it's, a, it's a search. It's been a search for a particular plant. Okay. Fantastic. Uh, um, could I mention that we've got the garlic seminar coming up um, on that same weekend in August? So the oh, first, the fifth. first weekend of August. Um, but this, although we've got the normal seminar on the 5th and the 6th of August, it's in Albury. It goes for two days. Though we're also running an... Um, a half day on the Friday afternoon for people who are thinking about doing a bit of growing to sell. So um, a lot of people think that the Garlic Association is all about big growers. It actually isn't. It's mainly, although we, we you know do have big growers as members, it's mainly smaller growers. And that's one of the differences in the garlic industry is that there are a lot of what we call boutique growers who, okay. who um, you know, grow maybe half an acre you know, or or less, you know, some people grow less than that. And they sell through farmers markets and they sell through eBay and Gumtree and um, through Farmhouse Direct. And, you know, there's lots of different ways of, of selling garlic in particular, um, although, you know, there are there are alternative ways of selling all our produce these days. Um, 
but particularly with garlic because it, it travels so well and it stores pretty well. So yes. you don't have the problem of having to get things you know, there quickly and all that sort of thing. And thank goodness that there are because um, for so long it was we were just relegated to supermarket varieties yeah, from China. Oh, yes. yeah. And now they're certainly yeah. becoming more available. Any of the markets that you go to, there'll be you know, yeah. a store selling garlic. And... Not so much at this time of year. We've no, still, but, we've still yeah, got this the... gap to, to cover, but we're, we're working on it as an industry. Anyway, if you are thinking... About maybe if you've got a bit of land, you want to have a go at growing some garlic. It might well be worth coming to the seminar. It, I know Aubrey seems a long way away, but we're trying to cater, and it, it's it's I do it each year. It's a three hour drive, so it's not that bad. Um, so if you want to know more about it, you can go to the website, which is garlicaustralia.asn for association dot um, au. Sorry. So this is more about this is more aimed at people who are looking to grow it on a larger Indeed. scale than yeah. Yep. But look, we have people like me who are passionate, just passionate about garlic. So you yep. know, if you are just passionate about garlic and would like to meet garlic growers and other people who are passionate about garlic, you could just come to the seminar because we've got some really good speakers over the over the weekend as well. So, but all the information's on the website if you if you want to go and have okay. a look. So garlicaustralia.asn.au. Um, and the other thing I wanted to mention is that um, the next Herb Society, Vic Herb Society meeting, um, Clive Luckman's talking. Ah. And he's a very engaging speaker and he's bringing some of his plants along. Um, so he'll have some rare herbs for sale as well. So it could be a really good one to go to. Well, you'll yeah. know all about that. He's Abe. very knowledgeable and, yes. and enjoys sharing his yeah. passion. Yeah, and he's, yeah, a, yeah. he's a nice man. So that's Thursday the 3rd of August at the usual venue, which I forget what it is. Um. Um, Down at Burnley Gardens. It is indeed, yes. Melway reference, 45A12, yes. So, yeah, again, you'd find out more about it if you got onto their website too. Yep. Okay. So I just wanted to mention those two things. Excellent. Yeah. Fantastic. Okay. Now, AB, we should mention that uh, during the week we, we received a rather lovely letter. Well, I, I picked it up actually last Sunday, but I... Saved it specially to show you. It, it is, and thank you for saving it, Pam. It's from uh, Vivian in Brighton East, and she's written a wonderful letter, basically um, thanking us for the show and um, that she's donated um, to the 3CR um, gardening, uh, 3CR radio appeal again, and um, also thanking Angus and myself for our book, um, The Australian Native Garden, which she has purchased and um, apparently getting a lot of enjoyment enjoyment from and, and practical advice. So that's terrific. But one thing she does mention is that she had a, um, a subtropical tree which um, eventually died and she's replaced it with a, um, a red flowering gum and um, she's hopeful that it is going to be a small plant. And um, I would just like to assure you assure her that um, even the um, non-hybridised varieties, you know, the the Carimba physifolia will grow to around 10 metres. So that in itself is not big. But the dwarf varieties, you're looking at anywhere from, you know, two to, to seven metres. Mm. So depending on which dwarf variety she's got, it's going to be a small one. And, and I think the terrific thing about these plants is that you get to see those beautiful flowers Instead up, of up close up, and personal, yes, exactly. you know, and, and <laughs> when the birds come in, they're coming in at a fantastic level for taking photos and whatnot. So, um, yes, Vivian, firstly, thank you so much for your lovely words and uh, rest assured that your small gum will be a small gum. And Vivian, I also have to thank you because included in that letter, um, you've sent some traditional Lebanese recipes and I am 
definitely going to try some of these. It's um, it's wonderful. I'm really excited about that. So thank you very much for uh, for sending that in to us. We really do appreciate that. Well, it's high time we invited our listeners to join us this morning. If you're, um, you can ring us even if you're still in bed because I don't blame you. <laughs> I'm this sure morning. everybody is. <laughs> but do do feel free to give us a call if you want to ask a gardening question. We'd love to hear from you this morning. We have uh, Penny Woodward, of course, in the studio, and also AB Bishop. So uh, do give us a call. That number is nine four one nine zero one double five. That's nine four one nine. Zero one double five. The other thing I would like to mention quickly, and this is some very exciting news, is that um, uh, recently, uh, in fact, last week in Geneva, there was the sixth Global Botanic Gardens Congress was held, and uh, Professor Tim Entwistle, of course, from our own. Uh, Royal Botanic Gardens here in uh, in Melbourne, and in fact, he's director and chief executive of all the uh, botanic gardens uh, in Victoria. Um, announced uh, some great news, and that is that uh, the seventh Global Botanic Gardens Congress is going to be held here in Melbourne. Uh, now, it's going to take place in 2021, which uh, <clears throat> ties in with. Uh, Melbourne Gardens celebrating their 175th anniversary. So that will be wonderful. Um, Now, the proposed theme is Botanic Gardens as Provocation, uh, with a strong emphasis on botanic gardens responding to climate change and urbanisation whilst respecting the needs and aspirations of our first peoples. So very exciting. Um, To address the theme, the five-day Congress will encompass a variety of of exciting international presentations, forums, discussions, in combination with site tours of local and regional gardens, including major scientific personalities from the global community. Now, uh, for those who are as excited as I am about this, the Congress is scheduled for the 7th to the 11th of February 2021, and it will take place at the Melbourne Convention and Exhibition Centre. And obviously... uh, as we get more information closer to the time, we'll uh, try and bring that to you. But congratulations to uh, to Melbourne Botanic yeah. Gardens for securing that. It's an absolute coup. Um, it you is. Know, it really is. Tim is just so excited about it. I'm sure he <laughs> is. And it was, yeah, it, I just think it's wonderful because it, it having these sort of things in your own town... It allows this exchange of knowledge and ideas and it allows a sort of bringing together of all of that and mm. and um, hugely important, you know, for Melbourne that, that it's coming here. So I, I just think it's fantastic. And also that it's all about provocation because, yes. I mean, yes. really that's when the big questions get asked and answered, don't they, you know, about urban greening and, and whatnot. And, I mean, we were once the garden state and mm. really we sadly aren't anymore, you know, in name or in nature. I suppose, but um, I know the city of Melbourne is is having a big push to green our urban spaces. So, mm. so that's terrific, and we know that it does make a really big difference in terms of you know the heat loads on the city and um, and air pollution. And- that's right, and and uh, you know providing those green corridors mm. um, for for the fauna. So and um, and just people feeling better about themselves and the world. You know, they, there's research after research that shows that. People thrive in areas where they have trees, where they have vegetation, where they have 
Yeah, and when you don't have that, you there are all sorts of health problems associated, whether it's physical or mental. So, do you know that in Japan they've got, and you probably would have heard of it, the forest bathing. Have you heard of that? No, no, they've got these incredible areas of um, forest, strangely enough, and um, there's no social media allowed, so you don't take your your, your phones or iPads or anything like that. No uh, strenuous exercise, so you're not going there to run through the bush. You are going there simply to walk and be in the forest, and they found that there's these chemicals that um, trees emit that actually do um, impact our well-being. So, you know, we often think of um, trees and, and, and fauna, you know, plants and fauna as being interlinked in these, you know, food webs and chains and whatnot. But we don't often associate ourselves in those food chains. And when you think about it, plants, you know, they, they have evolved to um, uh, attract certain species to help pollinate them and whatnot. So I'm pretty sure that they've mm. got us figured out as well and they, they <laughs> attract us to help them. So, you know, by releasing these chemicals, which actually are feel-good chemicals mm. for us, you know, it, I'm sure it's beneficial both ways in the long run. So. Wow. Yeah. It's, it's interesting you say that because I found that when I was down at Cranbourne Gardens recently walking through the um, eucalypt forest, forest areas yeah. there, you do get that feeling. Yeah. You know, it, it is just extraordinary. Because the trees are really, you know, quite big now, they're sort of adolescent, maybe not quite adult, but, yeah. you know, they're nearly there. Yeah. Um, yeah, it was. it's just fabulous and it's a sense of calm isn't it and it, yeah. because it's not measurable mm. it's so easy to dismiss things like that because we can't say oh you know if you stand underneath a gum tree for 45 seconds you will get x amount of these mm. feel-good chemicals um there's there's no measuring it's mm. just us going i felt fantastic when i went for a walk mm. yes but i mean there's yeah. more more and more studies are being done on you know horticultural therapy and you know therapy at using horticulture and um, you know also with um, people who experience depression and anxiety getting them out into the garden and you know whether it's that bacteria which we which is in the soil which we our bodies pick up and and helps us produce serotonin or um, you know whether it's just being outside in fresh air there's su- such a strong link now that you know I'm pretty sure it won't be before mm-hmm. long you go to the doctor and you're not feeling good and they say well you know I'm going to prescribe you 20 minutes of gardening a day. Yes. You know, rather than here's a little box of pills, um, get out into the garden. And, and, I mean, these are the things that we should be looking Mm. for rather than reaching for the pills. It's, you know, something so simple but... Really, just, um, yeah, I think if we all get out and garden more, the world would be a happier place. I'm sure of it. <laughs> we'll go to our first corner caller. We have uh, Pam out in Kyneton. Good morning, Pam. Good morning, everybody. Oh, are you managing to stay warm? Uh, yes. To be honest, Pam, this is commonplace for us now. <laughs> I guess. We've been having severe frosts ever, ever since April. Oh, dear. We've been having them, and they're just... Every day. So I pull up the blinds of the morning and there it is on the football oval yes. and all around my garden. So I've started covering things like AB said she was covering her passion fruit. I've been covering the Daphne's and even my little hellebores that are coming up now. I've been putting old feed bags sort of tented up over the top of them. Mm, great because idea. Otherwise, it's, I think the plants can cope with a couple of frosts, mm. a few frosts. But when you get them constantly, mm. they, you can see them starting to wear down now. Yes. <laughs> yep. Oh, anyway. dear. Never mind. Um, I need, I have a question. 
for Penny, which sure. is lovely to hear Penny on. I've been just waiting for you to come on, <laughs> Thanks, Penny. Thanks, Pam. <laughs> um, since I've been up here, well, about six, seven years now, I grow my garlic every year, and unfortunately this year I put them in the lowest bed, the garden bed. Yep. Um, and each year I get garlics that I, when I pull them, and I'm not sure if it's when I actually pull them, they get like brown across the top of them. So I grow about 50 cloves a year. Yeah. Which is, you know, yep. year supply virtually. Yep. And um, so I get this browning on the top of the cloves. Is that from when I'm growing them? Or would you know if it's from when I'm growing them or from when I um, store them? Because I store them in my shed. Yep. I hang them in my shed, yep. but like everything up here, it's damp. Okay. It's not wet, yep. but but everything up here is colder than, say, Melbourne. So, so, so when you when you harvest them, Pam, are they in their skin so that you can't see the cloves? Yes. Yeah, so they've got good firm skins on them and you cure them properly? I, you I hang let, them in... Well, I leave them out in the sun to get as much sun as they can. Okay, don't leave them I out in the sun. Them. Oh, right. Don't, oh, that's don't, what I'm doing. You can actually sunburn them. Um, oh. putting them if, you get, if you get a couple of 30 de- over 30 degree days, you can burn your garlic by leaving them out in the sun. Um, you, I would be, I, I never leave mine out in the sun. If you're in Tassie, you can get away with it because you just don't get quite the heat that you do um, in Victoria. But, you know, in Kyneton, you can get a 35-degree mm. day um, in October um, with our climate at the moment. But, um, yeah, no, you need to, I wouldn't leave them out in the sun. That may not be causing it, but um, no, I would be moving them, hanging them in an airy position out of direct sunlight to cure for about six weeks. Yes. Um, and then you store them again in an airy position, but somewhere that's perhaps a little bit cooler. I, I actually keep mine in a spare bedroom downstairs, but, you know, I'm lucky to have that space. Um, not such a good idea in a shed that gets really hot and then really cold because um, they don't like the extremes in temperatures and you don't want high humidity. So... The other thing that might be causing uh, the browning, mm. although this usually causes rot, is the higher humidity. Um, mm. So you need to, if possible, store them somewhere where you, where you don't have high humidity. All right. So so they don't rot. It's just this browning, browning. on the top. Yeah. Look, oh, I okay. I would be tempted to think that you're looking at, at a bit of sunburn rather than rather than because if they're not rotting, then it's not to do with humidity or storage. Um, the browning will be caused by um, spreading them out on the ground. Okay, so I need to find, instead of hanging them in my shed, I need to find somewhere else to store them. Um, uh, to cure them, what, what you've been doing, leaving them out on the, on the ground, is, is part of the, can be part of the curing process, but I don't yes. recommend it in Victoria. Um, so I would be leaving them with their leaves on. Right. Probably cutting off the roots because if you do have a, you know some heavy rain the roots can actually wick moisture back to the bulbs during the curing process uh, which is another thing I don't do you see my yeah. daughter said that to me yeah look you don't when it's hot and dry you don't need to do it but if you if we get a bit of humidity which we do mm. get you know the weather's mm. so unpredictable it's hard mm. to know what mm. to plan for 
Um, I would these days I'd cut the roots off, but you try and leave the leaves on if you can because that um, all the nutrients are absorbed into the bulb by mm. leaving the leaves on. Mm. Um, and you only cut the leaves off later when you finished when the curing's finished. Um, and I would be storing the garlic in open trays or boxes, um, one or at the most two layers thick. Ah, um, uh, radio. So I hang mine by their leaves. Well, you can do that as well. That's fine. You can leave the leaves on until you actually want to use them. Mm. Um, so that that's absolutely okay. fine. And you can leave them hanging wherever you cured them if that's what you want to do. But other people prefer to take them down and store them um, in other in another way. Okay, then I might try a different process this year because I put mine in early. I yep. mean, you always said we could. And, and I find that better here because I've got to get my winter vegetables in while there's still a bit of warmth in yep. the soil. Yep. Um, and anything I miss just doesn't grow, I find. Okay. Um, yeah. Oh, well, you've given me lots of ideas. That's fantastic. Thank you. I'll try a new tack this year and That's see what That's a pleasure, happens. Pam. I just, the one thing I wouldn't do is put them, leave them out in the sun. No. Okay. Yep. Thank you. I pleasure. Thought, Good luck. <laughs> thanks very much. Okay. Bye. And can I ask A.B. Oh. a question as well? Yeah, sure, sure, go for it, Pam. Um, I'm, up here they've cut, uh, you know, I back onto the river and they've cut everything out of the river. So where I had a river full of, well, I suppose it was Willow. willows and hawthorns, but it was, you know, it was shelter and everything. So they've cut everything down. So now I want to try, I've cleaned out my hawthorn trees down the bottom of my block, which sits right near the river. So I haven't cleaned them out. I've cleaned, I've cleaned them up. So I've got lots of planting areas around them now, which I want to try and plant out. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was thinking of maybe, and I'm talking about Kyneton Bog here. Um, so this is the challenge. Um, and I thought I might start off just with some powers mm-hmm. um, to maybe just get a bit of shelter or whatever but would you and I was thinking of maybe there's the river tea tree isn't there uh are we talking the leptospermum or the yes, calistamin yeah yep. and the and the dodonaeas do okay the frost gets them a little bit but they're young so I think once they get up a bit they're generally okay yeah so Is Pam it, what what I would be doing? Are you are you intending on removing the hawthorn entirely? No, 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 no. I could I could never do that. I would have nothing, and I would not live in this house. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's interesting because there's some areas. I mean, they were obviously introduced, but there's some mm. areas where they actually regarded as heritage plants now, and, mm. you, and you can't take them out. But um, and you know, it's it's a whole other sort of discussion about how um, councils are removing huge tracts of of um, willows and things all at once, you know. There's, and not replacing and, them. And not so replacing them. So real problems during floods. Yeah, and, yeah, and rather than staggering because all of a sudden all of it's the habitat has, has been removed and, yeah, yeah the, the, the rivers aren't stabilised, as, as Penny is, says. Which is exactly what they've done behind me. So where I had a big, huge screen of trees and shrubs and lots of birds, now I've got nothing. So, so what do you actually fair. look onto? Like, is it will it be a nice view eventually? Or no, 
houses. Oh, so, it's houses. And okay. a new road. Right. Okay. Well, I mean, the first thing I'd be doing, I mean, as you're saying, getting some some poas and and um, lamandras and other you know strappy leaf plants in which have got those really strong fibrous root mm. systems. That that's terrific for for stabilising things. Mm. Um, definitely be looking at what your um, indigenous plants are because they're likely obviously to have a um, higher chance of survival just having you know evolved in that area Um, you know anything in the Myrtaceae family is going to be much more capable of dealing with those boggy conditions any of the the calistamins and whatnot so and they're going to provide you with that really good screen as well and also be excellent habitat for birds. Um, They be the melaleucas that would do well in that because there are some but I'd definitely, Pam, be looking at your um, your native the plants that are native to your area. So I don't know if your council puts out a booklet or anything like that. I know a lot of local councils do with the the plants that are indigenous to that area and, and what do well. Um, certainly, you know, a, a conversation I'd be happy to have with you at a later date. You know, you can even give me a buzz and we can have a longer conversation about what what would work for you in that area. And I could do a bit more research. Um, but it, it's yeah, it is. I mean, a good time now to be planning what you want to do um, and making sure that you've got that uh, those different levels. You know, if you want to be a creating a good view, uh, part of that view for me is attracting the the native fauna. So you want to be bringing in, um, you want to be planting to bring in the insects for the insect birds and and um, you know some some fruit species as well for for all the different birds and animals, and then um, maybe you know a couple of trees. I don't know if you if you'd be able to put trees in there as well um, just so you can have those different levels. But uh, certainly I'd be checking out with your council to see what your Indigenous plants are. But, yeah, I'd be very happy to have a longer conversation with you about it. Mm. It's, the, it's the soil type and the, and the length of time that everything takes to grow because of the soil type and the harshness of the weather here. And, yeah. of course, they've just taken out all the shelter and it's very true what you say. Had they have come along and taken out fifty percent, yeah, and then planted and then taken out the other fifty percent, I think it would have been a much more successful. Yeah, but, thing to um, do, but yeah, they just don't. Anyway, that doesn't matter. It's happened now, and I've got to deal with it and um, and try and resurrect something out of it. And and I wouldn't mind calling you at some stage, um, AB. I'll get your number at some stage when I'm close I've got to do something with the soil I've got to clean things up a bit and then I've got to um and they've poisoned all the blackberries down behind me as well so wow they really did go through didn't they (laughs) yeah I had to fight very hard to keep my huge willow behind me because I'm right on the bend and all the drainage water comes down into the river behind me as well from the streets in the town yep and I'm dreading what's going to happen with that bend when we get our next flood. But anyway, if I can get a little bit of something happening. Yeah, help. yeah. Do, do you have a pen on you, Pam? I do. Oh, I'll give you my number now. So it's mm. 0419 mm. 782-197. Mm. So just give me a buzz and we'll have a longer chat about it. All right, that would be good. Thank you very Fantastic. much for that. That's very kind of you. All right, talk and to you later. And Casey is a, good, is a good thought. I'll look into that. Wonderful. Okay. All right. Thank you so much, everybody. Okay. Good luck with all that, Pam. Yes. See you later. Bye-bye. Bye. Right. Next up, we have uh, Tony out in Nutfield. Good morning, Tony. Good morning, Pam. Um, <coughs> um, I'm really 
talking to AB. Yes, hi Tony. And she's still you're still living at Bend of Isles? Yeah, the Bend of Islands, that's right, yes. Um many years ago when we last went there, um the artist Neil Douglas was living there. That's right. I, I don't know if you know him or knew of him. I do I did I do know of him, yes. Yes. In fact I've got I'm looking at a photo a, a painting of his at the moment, but I'm not ringing about that. Um when we visited him, um we were interested in his little vegetable garden. Um, it was just a small one, a few parallel rows, and he dug the next row in preparation. And what he did, um, he didn't use any toilet in the house. He used a pot, and every day or so he'd come out and put the contents in the next row, and when that row was full up, um, he would then dig the next row and put the soil over it, and then and just continue that way, and then planted his vegetables straight on top of the soil. And I bet he had a really good veggie garden. Well, I imagine it would grow pretty well. Like yes, that. well, I do. I do know the house and um, and where he lived, and I know the the new owners there now. And um, yeah, he cer- he certainly did think differently. And um, I mean, as you probably know, he was the instigator in helping protect that area when it was going to be dammed through there. And he was one of the instigators that um, that prevented the damming. Good. Well, <coughs> sorry, that's all I've got that's what you'd be interested in. Oh, yeah, it's wonderful. I, and I didn't know that about I know that he had a, a really good veggie garden and, um, yeah, I've spoken to people um, who knew him and um, knew of his practices and he, and he was one of, one of the people up there who the um, Chuffs is one of our local birds and um, they're, they're pretty sociable creatures but they wouldn't usually feed out of your hand. But I know that um, he was known for having, you know, the chuffs climbing all over There's him. There's some and fabulous photos of yeah. him surrounded with chuffs sitting on his shoulders. And Absolutely. and But that, that's a fantastic story about the veggie garden. Um, not something that I'd probably um, encourage others to do, but um, can certainly see why people, you know, head down that way. Okay. okay. Good Thanks, on you, Tony. Tony. Bye. Bye. Right, that number, if you'd like to join us this morning, you are listening to the 3CR Gardening Show. We're running through until 9.15, our usual time slot, so plenty of time for you to jump on the phones and give us a call this morning. That number is 94190155. That's 94190155. We have Penny Woodward and AB Bishop in the studio this morning, so we'd love to hear from you. 94190155. AB, you've brought some plants in, and <laughs> one we were actually talking about uh, about one of them last week. The, the zygo cactus. cactus. Yeah. Yes. Now the the reason I have brought this plant in, and as you can see, it's not in a very large pot. And if you kind of, I'll tip it up for you. Penny and Pam to see, um, you know, it's probably I don't know, fifteen centimetre pot, and it's um, it's got it's 
about a quarter filled with soil and I'm talking soil not potting mix and I've um, created this list of the world's nine hardiest plants and um, what's what's happened is uh, my mother-in-law died a couple of months ago and she was an incredible gardener and she had not only green thumbs but she had you know practically an entire green body she was so good she loved her plants um but towards her later years, of course, she just didn't have, um, you know, the the energy, I suppose, to get out into the garden as much. And um, she had a, had a house in um, in Mooney Ponds, and um, the the back garden was just this absolute jungle of incredible plants. And um, she also had a, a front veranda, and on it she had all these plants, like this zygote cactus, and um, she never used potting mix ever. And these plants were on this tiny little east-facing veranda with a house next door. So they were probably exposed to about, I don't know, 12 and a half minutes of sunlight a day (laughs) on a a sunny day. And yet they, I wouldn't say they have thrived, but they have certainly survived. And I just find that quite incredible, you know. And so there's there were various cacti and succulents. There were bromeliads. There was the, um, I think, James Beatty's favourite plant, the spider plant, the chlorophytum. Um, all, all of these plants which um, you, you know that they're pretty hardy, but when you see them in this environment, you just go, my goodness, plants really do want to live. And I... I sort of wonder to myself if they'd been in potting mix, if they would still be surviving Mm. because, you know, potting mix breaks down so much, whereas soil, I mean, everyone says don't put soil in pots. But when you've got the plants in there long term, I just wonder if it actually worked in their favour. You know, and, and the other thing, she doesn't, she never watered a lot. You know, and for the last year of her life, she actually wasn't living at home, so the plants got watered even less. And I'm sure that is one of the one of the reasons why they actually survived because they were just, you know, just basically hanging in there. Their soil didn't get sodden, and they weren't sitting in this cold, damp soil. Um, but and and so the the zygote cactus, and as you can see, it's just about to come into flower. That was one of the plants um, that was hanging in there, and another one was this enormous um, crassula ovata, the jade plant. And mm. so it was about a metre tall, but surviving in one of those old Nescafe tins. Right. It hadn't, it was really rusty. It hadn't, roots hadn't broken through into the ground. Right. How it survived, I've got no idea. So I've completely, you know, chopped it back, given it given it its haircut, um, removed all the girdling roots. There was quite a few girdling roots. I've taken them right back and um, potted it up and, and it looks fantastic. You know, time will tell. It's it's early days yet and time will tell um, about whether it does survive or not. But it's just quite incredible, isn't it, do, the tenacity? Do you think one of the crucial things, though, with those is that they were getting so little sun? Because if they'd been in a northerly aspect with hot afternoon sun, then this combination of lack of watering and soil may they may well not have survived despite being really absolutely tough yeah yeah and so, that, that is yeah. yeah very likely though although the, the jade plant was actually 
on the north side north of the sun. house. So that yeah. was getting more sun, which is yeah. obviously why it was taller. But yeah, these other ones, it was almost like they were put into a time warp. Yeah, yeah. But that. it shows that you can grow things in almost any position if you're if you don't if you're not too fussy about what it is you're growing. Yeah, mm. yeah. There are things that will grow. I this yesterday afternoon I had this weird experience where I've been sort of in and out all the time and not really looking at things. We've actually had quite a bit more rain, I think, on the coast than you've had a bit inland. And we've had a, an old doormat at the top of the steps. And I came out and I think the light was just at a certain angle. And I realised that this old doormat, which is exposed to the weather, was actually now a moss bed. Right. <laughs> Fantastic. So it was bright green. Gorgeous. And it was just so gorgeous. <laughs> and I had done absolutely nothing to that. But it just gave me such a buzz to see this moss-covered door yeah. yeah, And that's partly my slackness because I, I, I – Is this a door that you actually use? It's at the top of our steps at our front door that we go up and down the steps all the time, but yeah. it's just slightly off to one side. Oh, okay. And it was put there because it gave you a chance to get most uh, some of the mud off your feet before you actually got onto the main part of the deck and the front door. So, um, but it's just so beautiful. Yeah, and, it and is incredible where plants want to grow. And it's yeah. interesting because I was down at um, – uh, Rorema, I know you guys were talking about yes. it the other day, and um, I've written a story on it for the Gardening Australia mag for for the September issue. When it's um, the, the Gardening Australia, I've done a story on it, so it's a, you know a crossover story for that. And um, the new display gardens have opened. I'm not sure if you, either of you have been down yet. No, where are you? Where are Rorema down um, towards Geelong at, at Lara. Okay. Yeah, at, no, I don't yes. know. Oh, yeah. so and it's right next to the freeway. Um, yeah. Yeah, yeah. As, as you're coming, well, it's on your left-hand side as you're coming back from Geelong to okay. Melbourne. Yeah, yeah, I think yeah. I might have seen it as we were going past. You I see the most unusual plants yes. yeah, as yeah. you're driving past. It's, it's okay. well, well worth a visit because it's not, it's just this other world. It's not only about the fact that he's got all these incredible um, cacti and succulents and other plants for sale because he is about sharing his passion and knowledge mm. of mm. plants. And boy, oh boy, does he know a lot and he tries to grow everything that he sells so that he can give people this really practical advice and you know they've owned the nursery since um, he and Cheryl so Lyle and Cheryl have owned the nursery since 2001 and um, they've only when when they first moved in there they just opened the nursery and the freeway was being expanded they were in, increasing the lane so they had all the soil and Lyle negotiated to get you know truckloads and truckloads mm. of soil and they've in these flat empty paddocks they've created all these sunken gardens and huge mounds and he's planted them up and you know the the soil itself you know some of it was total clay some of it was a mixture of bitumen mm. um so he was working with these really tricky tricky soils but he says you know he's He's really quite positive about it and he appreciates the fact that it's such harsh conditions because he said he loves so many plants and if they were to all grow to their potential, he'd have this absolute jungle and it would shade everything out. So, you know, he's really positive about it and it's it's so worth a trip. You know, he's got lots of benches, picnic gardens. You can take your dog on a lead and come down, have a picnic and just sit there and see plants in this incredible environment. And what he was trying to do was show how you could have this um, drought-tolerant but beautiful garden. And, you know, mm. he's he finally after... Mm. 
you know, 16 years of, of having mm. the nursery and having the site and collecting all his rusty artefacts that he's collected over the years. He's finally had um, the chance to use them all. And it's just exceptional. It really is. You know, it's just you can wander around for a couple of hours and, and you feel like you're getting lost all the time. But, you know, there's <laughs> always another path back back to the beginning. And, yeah, it really is a treat. So sounds really idiosyncratic. Oh, I, I, I love totally idiosyncratic cards. Yes. Yeah. Things that really reflect the owners. Yeah. yeah. And, and, you know, there's, there's so much maturity there as well. So mm. in, when he planted out, he left, um, you know, there was uh, peppercorn trees and mature ukes and, and um, um, some, some figs that were just mm. kind of starting out and he knew that they'd have character. And now they're enormous and they form a really good structure for the garden, you know, mm. and, and it's, it's quite incredible what he's done. Yeah. And it is right on the freeway, so you do get that freeway noise all the time, but you're so entranced by the mm. plants, you know. It's, yeah, it sounds yeah. great. It's def- definitely worth a trip, yes. Penny. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> great. Okay. Um, and, and as I was saying last uh, week, um, that also bears out that I have a Zago cactus in a in a, um, a windowsill, on oh, a windowsill yes, in, yes, yes. yeah, in a pot, but it's totally facing south. Yep. Um and flowers its head off. It's just so happy. It, yep. It's very happy. There. Is that inside or outside? Outside. 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 Okay. So yeah. It's, yeah. Yeah. It's it's incredible. But it's um it's interesting. You know, with Pat having passed away and her being such a uh, keen gardener, I really wanted to um pres- somehow preserve her garden because it was such a jungle. Though the siblings were just all having it cleared out before the house sold, and um, so I went round a few weeks ago just taking cuttings of everything you know not the ideal to be time to be taking them but I was just desperate to hopefully you know grow them on and then give them back to to everyone so that they've got this growing piece of pat and I think you know it's it's a real lovely link to our ancestors in a way isn't Absolutely. it Absolutely. you know and just yes. um you know and and of course you Pam, you brought in a couple of incredible old gardening books that well, someone had left them in the locker yes, for you. absolutely. And um, that's another thing, you know, Pat, being such a, a plant lover, collected hundreds and hundreds of plant books, which mm. happily I have inherited. Great. You know, because the other kids didn't want them, so I'd just give them to AB. And, you know, some of them are just quite quite amazing. Mm. So it's um, it's kind of been sad but but lovely at the same time mm. and and interestingly she was quite into native plants so this, mm. yeah it's, it's it's all been um, kind of sad but uh, lovely at the mm. same time yes so. mm. great well good luck yes. with all those cuttings yes yes and and clivia berries I've been busy collecting the clivia berries right. because the clumps are so enormous they're, they're, they're just too big to handle and there was yes. this incredible um, monstera which almost took up half the back garden and I I just love monsteras they're just so wild and crazy and you know the trunk was uh, you know thicker than my arm right um in various stages of it and when we were there on the weekend um the gardener had been and you know basically hacked into it so I grabbed a couple of pieces and I thought I'll just plant them in one of the garden beds in the veggie garden and see if it reshoots I mean they're so they're so tenacious, it probably will. But, um, yeah, but it's just about keeping that link, you know. We we had a, um, for a long time before I actually killed it, gulp, gulp, um, we had a, a plant that had been given to us from um, 
a friend whose mother had owned it and so it had been passed down a bit and um, you know Ray knew his mum as well and it was just that really lovely link you know besides you know things like teapot cozies and whatever it's just so mm. nice to have that living link yes. that, can, that can be passed along. Absolutely. Did the Monstera um, survive the frost? Because um, I've well, got one in a pot which was basically under the eaves but it's grown so big that it was poking out more oh, yes. and those exposed leaves have got burnt. Oh, I, I mean, okay. the, the plant is going to survive, but yeah. the leaves did get quite burnt. Yeah, well, no, hers, I mean, it has been chopped down now, but when we were there on, yesterday, actually, the, the leaves were still perfectly fine, but okay. it was in a city environment, so um, obviously much warmer. And, and that's the other thing that I'm, I'm needing to really, you know, be really careful with is all these plants that were on her front veranda. Suddenly I'm taking from this kind of relatively cosy environment in Mooney Ponds, um, thrusting out into the, the you know the cold <clears throat> countryside. Yes. So I'm really having to think about where I'm going to put them until they're potted up at least and and can re-establish themselves. So um, yeah, it's all all very interesting and being surrounded by lots of new plants, which is which is lovely and and hopefully they're they're going to be excited to actually get some food and some water. So. Fantastic! Yeah, Great. Looking forward to the journey. Yep, absolutely. We're going to go next to Max, who's out in Thornbury. Good morning, Max. Oh, hello. Um, thanks for taking my call. I'm calling about a passion fruit that I planted last spring. It's done really well. Um, it's on a um, the east side of a, a fence that runs north-south. Um, but in the last few weeks, it's dropped about um, four-fifths of its leaves and some of the... Um, the tendrils, the stems have died back uh, as well. Um, the leaves, when they're dropped, are still um, very green. Um, I'm just wondering, is it just the, the cold we've been having um, or could it be something else? Okay, well, Max, first of all, welcome to my world. <laughs> I have this ongoing um, trial with uh, passion fruit and... Um, in answer to your question, they are dropping leaves because of the cold. Okay. Um, they, if they, uh, and I've been in exactly the same situation, planted up in spring, and they don't put on this huge amount of growth enough to sort of protect the whole plant. So, if if you haven't done so by now, I'd be rushing out, getting yourself some frost cloth and putting a couple of layers over it or before, even before that spraying it spraying what leaves are left um, you can buy a frost a frost protection spray which just um, sort of gives gives it a, a, a general cover up and, and helps protect it a bit more and then cover it with frost cloth um, give it a good watering with um, a sea salt mixture and cross your fingers okay um, that sounds Sounds good. I haven't heard of Foscos before. Um, I also have a red decker banana that I planted um, late summer um, as well, which had been doing really well, and the leaves got frosted. I put a an insulating um, blanket of straw around the trunk, um, but um, yeah, should I try the soft? Uh, frost cloth on that as well. I, I definitely would be. It's it's quite cheap. Just get it from any of your garden centres. Okay. It's white, right. so it doesn't look fantastic in the garden, but for the sake of saving your plants. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Is it something you should take off after um... spring? 
So you leave it on, cover yep. the whole plant yep. the whole time? Yeah. Okay. All right. Great. Thanks very much. Good luck with it. Okay. Right. Thank you. Bye. Bye. Uh, now, Anne has rung in on the outside line asking about resistant citrus gall wasp plants. Mm. I haven't heard of plants, citrus plants that are resistant to gall wasp. I haven't um, either. Look, it's possible that it's just something that we haven't heard about yet that, that Anne has picked up from somewhere. Have you? No, no not at all. No, but it is, um, you know, while we're talking about it, it is the time that you need to be, you know, um, cutting off the galls because they're, if they haven't already come out, they're getting earlier each year. So it used to be August that you would needed to have them cut off by. I'd be doing it by the end of July. Mm. Um, so you cut them out of your tree, um, put them into plastic, don't just put them into your compost um, and in a sunny position in a sealed bag or drown them in water. Um, so put them in a bucket of water and leave them underneath um, and that will... That will kill off the the gall wasps in the thing, but you do need to you know wait, let them rot. Mm, yes, um, to and kill them. Yep. And I was there's there's also a bit of research that shows that um, citrus gall wasp is actually an Australian native um, that's been around in Queensland and New South Wales for a long time. Um, but they've the gall the citrus gall wasps have made their way south, but the predators haven't made their way oh. with them. So the predators are starting to catch up and there's a bit of work being done. in. What are the predators for them, do we it's know? A, it's another, another little wasp. wasp. Okay. Yeah. Yep. Um, so in, in the northern areas, it's not such a problem because you have the predator there. So they're, they're trying, they have been working on releasing the predator yep. in Victoria as well. But um, the other thing that you can do is you can actually spray your tree with one of the pest oils. And the oil on the on the stem will help to stop them from laying on the tree, but you need to do that every ten days or so during the sea this, that short period when the wasps are around and yep. wanting to relay back into your back into your tree. Mm-hmm. Certainly wouldn't work on our tree. Our tree is just crazy. It's massive, and I haven't pruned it back, and yeah. it just needs a prune. And to tell you the truth, I don't even know if it's got gall wasp, but it yeah. just keeps producing amazing lemons. Yeah, look, it, it's um, and and it affects different citrus differently. I, my daughter has a mandarin and a lime. Mm-hmm. The lime gets really badly attacked by citrus gall wasp. The mandarin has had no citrus gall wasp at all. Mm. So it can depend on on what you're growing as yep. well. But it's one of these sort of community responsibility things. If mm. you don't control your citrus gall wasp, you are then affecting your neighbour's lemon right. tree and yep. their neighbour's lemon yep. tree. So, you know, it is it's important to have a look yep. at it and keep and try and control yep. them if you can. But in reality, your tree will go on producing lemons for a long time, even with citrus gall wasp, yep. even if you do nothing. Yep. But um, it will eventually cause severe problems for the tree, but it mm. takes years. Mm. The other thing that the Save Our Citrus group um, yep. was established here in Melbourne to try and rescue mm. our inner suburban lemon trees initially, um, they also say um, to avoid nitrogen-rich fertilisers yeah. in spring because that new growth that's promoted by it yep. um, attracts the gall wasp mm. back. So mm. It's a bit hard sometimes to do that because your citrus are putting on new growth at that that's time right. of the year anyway. Mm, that's right. Um, yeah, but yes, don't don't overdo the nitrogen. No. Yeah. Okay. All right. If you'd like to. Uh, so yeah. Sorry, Anne. We don't know the answer to your question. Yeah, no, that, that was a good well, question. Yeah. And we'll have to do but some we'd research. We'd love to know now, if, yeah. Yeah, if, if anyone knows. I, I suspect it was uh, a wishful thinking question. Okay. Um, just it, maybe yeah. there was. There was a tree around that we could all plant instead, yes. but I don't think it's going to happen somehow. Um, but you never know. Yeah. 
Indeed, you know? there may well be someone working on it. Yes, because it's certainly a problem for the for the citrus growers who you know grow them for a living. Absolutely, yeah. it'd be wonderful if someone mm. could develop a, a strain that's um, that's resistant. Yeah, yeah. would yeah. be great. Okay, um, now we've also got a question. Could you give the month and name of the conference? Ah, okay. Well, that was um, talking about um, the Royal Botanic Gardens here in Victoria um, winning the uh, bid to host the 7th Global Botanic Gardens Congress. Now, that is going to take place in um, 2021 uh, and the Congress is scheduled for seven the 7th to the 11th of February. So that'll be February in 2021. And um, I'm sure we'll hear a lot more about it as we get closer to time. Um, there'll be a lot more um, media releases about it and we might try and uh, and invite someone from uh, the Royal Botanic Gardens to actually come in onto the show to also talk about yep. it as we get closer and uh, they develop the program more so that we mm. can find out a bit more about it. And who's coming. And yes. exactly. I'd love yeah. to know who's on the list. Yes, <laughs> yes a, a really wonderful thing and a real coup for Melbourne to yeah. have managed and, to secure And it's a that. great chance to showcase Australian plants as well. Absolutely. You know, a, because so many people don't really understand, our overseas people don't yes. really understand the richness and diversity that we have in Australia. And I love the fact that it's recognising our Indigenous peoples and and what their contribution as well mm. uh, you know i just think it's a really good all round i'm sure thing. many visitors will be um making the trek down to cranbourne as well to to take advantage of um the bot gardens down yeah. there well and, yeah. and i'm hoping that that they may also organize some trips out to some of our regional botanic gardens um mm. because some of those are absolutely fabulous yeah. as well yeah. and and often um they're a bit of a hidden gem i Indeed. mean i don't think i don't think the general public here appreciate them nearly enough, yeah. Unless they yeah. live and we're locally so to lucky to have them, but but also the Cranbourne Gardens, which are just oh, unique, so absolutely you know, unique. It'll be great to be able to, yep, yep, to show off. Yes, indeed, <laughs> definitely. Um, we've also got another query. A listener missed the spray for citrus school wasp. I, Was it? So this is not trying to kill the citrus gall no. wasp. This is trying to stop them from laying eggs on into your branches. So the idea is to get an oil-based spray onto the um, onto the branches that will stop them. And I would just use a pest oil. Um, white oil probably would be okay, but there's some really good pest oils around. So. Um, yeah, and and you don't go on doing it into the really hot weather because that can it actually can burn. Be de- can actually burn. Problems, yeah. Yes. Um, so this is we're talking about doing this over the next couple of months before it gets hot, and just trying to as an attempt to stop them from laying their eggs in mm. your in your branches. And you would need to reapply it after yeah, every, rain. About every yeah, and about every ten days. Yeah. you need to do it. Yeah. Um, so I would start doing it at the end of July, and um, yeah. But get out there with the secateurs if you and haven't get, done and it get yet. get the ghouls out. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, making me feel guilty now. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, Abby. <laughs> it's just one more job in oh, the garden, Abby. It's just like, really, we all need just to be full-time gardeners, don't we? <laughs> yes. It's just like, and who, and who and needs a job? job for us. <laughs> yes. Yes. Well, when um, we have this universal wage idea where everybody just gets paid, then we gardeners can just go and spend time in our gardens and sounds, supply food to people and oh all my that goodness. sort of thing. Yeah, yeah. love that idea. 
Now, Penny, you've brought in some plants. Oh, look, just a couple of small ones. One, one's a balm of Gilead, which is Cedronella canariensis, mm-hmm. and I just love the scent of this plant. So I'm passing this around so that the others can just mm, crush the. That leaf. is quite unique. It is. It is gorgeous. It's not the said a balm of Gilead is mentioned in the Bible, but it's not. It, this one is not actually the one that's mentioned in the Bible. The one that's mentioned in the Bible mm. is a is a poplar that has this amazing scent. When the first, when the leaves first appear, but this one um, is one that has a similar scent. It's just a beautiful plant in the garden, and I had it in the garden for years and lost it a few years ago. And I was giving a talk, and they had one of these for sale on the plant stand. So it's not one of those it. ones which starts taking over the garden. It looks no, disturbingly it like the um, um, oh now the lemon bar. No, 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 nothing to do. No, it grows as a bush okay. to about a metre height and yep. a metre width. Doesn't self sow around. I've never. It's well. I should never say doesn't. It's never self sown in a garden that yep. I've had. Um, quite frost tender, so you need to plant it. When I grew it in Ballarat, I grew it in a pot, okay. so that I could move it out um, out of the way when, with frosts. Beautiful scent, and it has arching branches of pink flower heads. So sort of dusky, dirty pink. Yeah, and usable not. in the kitchen. Um, no, more more used as an inhalant for colds mm-hmm. and just as a scented plant in the yep. garden. And so I wonder if it would be strong. insect repellent, just it, given it its has strong some scent. insect repellent yep. qualities. So it's just a good one to have in the garden to can you know have lots of different scents around. And I love growing it next to somewhere where I walk past and I can run my hand through it as mm. I walk past mm. and release the scent. So I think that's a really lovely plant. Um, and the other one is one that I've actually bought from Lamley and I was quite excited to see it because one of my favourite plants in my garden is my calamint, which is Calamintha napeta. It's in the Lamiaceae, so it's in the sort of sage, etc. family. Mm. Um, and I've had it in the garden for years and it flowers for nearly nine months. So it stops flowering in winter. It's a plant that you can make a tea out of, that you can um, – lovely sort of crushed mint – flavoured tea, um, a bit like White Nights, I mm-hmm. think, that flavour, you know, the flavour of yes. White Nights. Mm. Um, and, but the flowers are beneficial insect magnets. They mm. are just covered in all sorts of beneficial insects and, and bees. And this is a dwarf form that Lamley has okay. released. And so really good for, for smaller gardens. It's called, sometimes I hate the names they give these plants, <laughs> but it's Marvelette Blue. So M A R V E L E T E Okay. Blue. And I'm sure I'm sure Lamley's not responsible for this name, but it's uh Calamintha Marvelette Blue. So Calomintha? No, Cala. C A L A M I N T H A. Okay. Calamintha. And the the botanical name is Calamintha Napeta. Um it loves a well drained spot, it full sun or light shade. This one only grows to about thirty centimetres, the one yeah, I've got. I suspect in the garden. that's why Marvelette. Yes. Yes. Yeah, I know. <laughs> <laughs> Still something else. Might Little Marvel. Yes. yes. <laughs> um that would have been better. Um and it, it and yeah, so thirty metres high, thirty metres thirty centimetres across, thirty centimetres high. Um the one I've got in the garden is more like 80 centimetres high and 80 centimetres across. Okay. So really nice one for a pot on a, on a deck or, or and, and they're tough. Mm-hmm. And you just cut them right back each year to this low clump that's only a few centimetres above the soil and then it reshoots again and it's got, it just flowers and flowers and flowers. So it's a great doer in the garden. Excellent. I think. So 
very good. Yes. Two, two new to me plants. Yeah. I like well, that. that's one of the joys of gardening, isn't it? You're always discovering well, coming things. across. Yeah, coming yeah. across something new. Yes. In fact, actually, while while we're talking about new things, I'm going to give you a um, each a segment of a plant, and this is called Guess What Plant It Is. Actually, less about guess as a as opposed to tell me what plant it is. It's because plectranthus. Is it? I think. I think so too. Ah, good. Does okay. it have blue flowers? Uh, well, it's just got those flowers that you can see. It's, it was one of the ones that was in Pat's garden and um, it was around the back of the shed and I only discovered it yesterday. I thought, oh, that looks like one I, I, I want to pro- the, propagate. Where's the flower on the... Here. Oh, yeah. Pen, oh, okay. Yeah, here it is. All oh, right. Well, no. Yeah, not, no, not plectranthus. Not, no, not the one it's, I know anyway. It it's got the same one. maroon backing on the leaf. Yeah. yeah. It's almost, I mean, a, sort of a smallish hibiscus leaf and then a... Um, yeah. Well, it's, it's almost, almost like a, a sh- hibiscus type of flower too, isn't it, when you look at it? Um, didn't, didn't mean to put you on the spot, yeah, but no, I just no, thought no, it's, it might, it's might be able to help me narrow it down. Yeah. I haven't been able to find out yet, but... Um, yeah. It still has that sort of... The, the stems are a bit um, firmer than a plectranthus. That mm. was what had me a bit puzzled. Uh, look, I'm not sure. Oh, I, I haven't to, seen that one before. Oh. Try and prop it up and yeah. uh, report back. I have to say, listeners, that it's a slightly droopy specimen. <laughs> it is. So it is a, a very droopy it specimen. It drooped very quickly. To, <laughs> it's a bit hard to pick. But, uh, yes, it's very annoying when people do that. Uh, what I can do, AB, if they survive, if I take them home and put them in some water, maybe I can bring them in for Stephen next week and see if he has any clues. Oh, okay. Yeah, that might that might be a good idea. Yeah. yeah. If, if they survive, they mightn't last for another if you, week. If but... you cut some of the bigger leaves. Yes, off, yeah. Some nice yes. little leaves coming, so yes. they're probably so, yeah. Yeah, well, I'll just, give it a go. I've just done what some of the viewers on uh, Gardening Australia often do. They they'd send in these totally squashed samples of plants, which by the time they reach us, they'd turn completely black. And for ideas, it's like, nope, sorry, <laughs> no idea. Yes. So I'm being just as annoying as them. But uh, yes, okay, we'll go next to uh, Jill from the Herb Society. Good morning, Jill. Hi, Pam, Penny. Hi, Jill. Hi. Um, I just want to tell this little story about my grandson because I think it might encourage grandparents and parents to get their kids gardening. Um, he's seven now, but seven and a half, and I've been gardening with him since he's nine months. He dug the hole when he crawled along and threw the purple potatoes in <laughs> and they grew. But I, I was minding him when he had tonsillitis recently and read out the stories about him and gardening that I'd made, and they're on the Herb Society website, Children with Herbs. And um, one was, oh, Grandma, um, tomatoes finished in the garden, sorry. And Grandma, come and help Daddy lost wedding ring in the garden. And um, I was reading these stories out to him, and then he said, and tell them now, I'm seven and a half, and I don't do gardening anymore. (laughs) About who planted all the cos lettuce in a great big tub and the seedlings of parsley in another big tub to make food for the guinea pigs. So he doesn't do gardening anymore. He does guinea pig food production. Ah, he's into <laughs> agriculture. Yeah. <laughs> and can I ask a question? Sure. Um, I've got a thorn apple that I, you know, I have a few interesting herbs and it's been knocked by the frost. Um, I've put it in a a more caring position, a northerly position. Is there any, should I cut it now or just leave it? Don't uh, cut anything now. 
Okay. So you just you've got to wait until the last chance of frost has passed. Yeah. And um, good heavens knows when that might be because you know exactly. we're having such a weird. Yeah. Season, so I, I would leave it until you think the last chance of frost has passed, and then leave it a bit longer before you cut it back. And the other other question is, I've got a um, Camellia sinensis now. I bought one. Mm-hmm. Um, that's the for so the green tea and the black yep. tea leaves. Yep. And what sort of environment does it need? Because the tea plantings are sort of in the hills in India, aren't they? Yeah. Look, I've tried growing it in my garden and failed twice, but I was putting it in a spot where it had a fair bit of competition. Um, my feeling is that it needs to not be in full sun, so um, it needs to have a bit of particularly protection from late afternoon sun. Yeah. Um, and you need a really good soil, and that was what I didn't give it. You need you know, a really good, rich, composty soil because that's what it would have in the, in the hill environment. Well, I'm very cruel because I do lots and lots of talks to garden clubs, and I take you know, plants like that yeah. to show. So... I do have the um, chance of, you know, using really, really good soil yeah. and, um, you know, because I keep them in pots, that's the only way I can take them to yeah. show. Yeah. Yes, I've got um, juniper and star anise and um, curry tree, you know, Maria yeah. Cunegii and quite a few others that I take and... Um, it's getting more difficult as the pots get bigger. bigger. But yeah, that's yes. the problem is carting them all around, isn't it? Yeah. Anyway, it's, it's good fun. Good and, on you, Jill. And people, you know, I can't believe people know so little about herbs. You yeah. know, I don't bother taking rosemary anymore, but when I take thyme, oh, is that what thyme looks like? Mm. People get used to seeing them, I guess, in the dried packets. And, That's and, right. And, you just, and it's not just, and I think one of the things of taking the plants along, because I do the same thing, I take cuttings of everything, and being able to hand them around so that people can smell what the fresh mm. herb actually smells like rather than the sort of dried, horrible specimens that you get in supermarkets. Um, well, I've, I've been it's very just inc- a huge difference. Yes. Um, take it is... Um, Limonii is yep. a great hit at the moment. And the tree marigold, yep. yeah. And then on the ABC gardening program, they were say, saying, oh, there's nothing out at the moment. There are stacks and stacks of plants out. You know, the salvia and volucrata bethylai yep. feeds the birds and the possums have eaten some of them down half, you know, because they're the leaves that they eat in winter. Mm. Mm. And of course, the, fortunately, salvias are so big that it doesn't really matter if, or a lot of them, if the possible. Well, I've them. got heaps and heaps yeah. of them, and they're all round the fence, and now mm. they're in the middle of the garden, and the possums are helping me prune them. Yeah, exactly, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Good on you, Jill. Thank you. Thanks a lot. Bye. 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 And and don't forget the Herb Society meeting on the on the third. So that we've, um, if people want to go and hear Clive Luckman talk about herbs mm-hmm. and have a look at some unusual herbs. Yes, yeah. yes. And and I know Burnley. Jill does a bit of work at um, um, a school, does she? Does she? Yes, at her yeah, yeah. Yes, and yeah, I mean, there's so many more school gardens now, yeah. aren't there? And it's yeah. just, I, I know um, one of the school gardens, the name eludes me now, it's down... Um, down towards Seaford, um, where the the mother, two of the mothers, mm. um, started up a a, veg, a school veggie garden down there, 
um, because one of them, um, their daughters was intrigued to know that peas didn't come from the deep freezer section mm. in the supermarket. And mm. you hear those stories again yeah. and again, don't you? Yeah. But, Indeed. I mean, really, why should you know where all these things come from unless you're exposed to it? So um, Unless you're gardeners. Unless yeah. you're gardeners, exactly, yeah. and, can, yeah. and can see that whole life cycle mm. of plants. So. Mm. Penny, we should mention that uh, the ABC is um, is about to launch a new book. Yes, indeed, and 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 I will we'll talk about this next time I'm on. But um, due for release the week after, so the twenty fifth, I think it is, is a book called Backyard Bounty, um, and it's all about growing veggies. So it it uses some of the articles from the magazine and some new articles and. Um, there are articles of mine and Phil Dudman's and a whole range of the organic gardener writers, Justin Russell, who's a fabulous writer. Um, so, yeah, I, I think it'll be, if you're just looking for something that is um, pretty straightforward but gives you the, all the information you need about soil and potting mixes and keeping pests under control and then um, individual information about most of the common veggies, mm. um, it, I think it's really good. Yeah. We'll have a good chat about it next yeah. month when you're on. Yeah. But yeah. but it'll be in bookshops from next week. Okay. If you want to if you want to have a look for it. Yep. Yeah. Excellent. And it'll probably get snapped up quickly, won't it? I mean those um, ABC yeah, think, books. Yeah, it's to, interesting. It'll yeah. be interesting to see how it goes. Mm. Yeah. Because it's um you know, the organic gardener, the only other book that they've done has been the one on chooks, which mm-hmm. sold really well. Yep. Um, but yeah, it's hard to know. It's mm. a sort of un- bit of an unknown quantity. It'll be interesting to see how it goes. Absolutely. You are listening to the 3CR Gardening Show. Um, we are on air every Sunday morning from uh, 7.30 until 9.15. Uh, we have uh, just oh, just over 15 minutes left to go for the show this morning. So if you'd like to jump on board and ask a gardening question, we'd love to hear from you. That number is nine. 9- Four one nine zero one double five. That's nine four one nine zero one double five. AB, let's get to another plant. Oh yes, yeah, so I did get a little bit carried away bringing in all these massive pots, but I thought it was actually a bit easier than just bringing in a snippet of each one. AB, and- can I request that you talk about the sweet jasmine because <laughs> I've been eyeing that off over there. <laughs> we here it comes. Now this is a new to me plant that I discovered a few months ago when I was one around Karanga Nursery and smelling this incredible smell and following my nose to try and work out where it was because there was a bit in flower at the time and um, came across this uh, native jasmine mm. and um, a vine, a um, very sort of delicate looking uh, vine. It, it's actually been out in the shade house. So it has, even though this is one of those plants which is from... Um, the northern, um, northeastern New South Wales over into the border of um, Queensland, so that um, subtropical climate, it's um, actually done perfectly fine, even though it, it does. Ha- is in the shade house so it's afforded some protection but it's um growing along perfectly well and it's um jasmine what is it jasminum sorvisium or something suavissimum suavissimum yeah Yeah. and um it has you know just those um typical jasmine flowers so if you're looking Mm. for a a native alternative Mm. to jasmine which is just as sweetly smelling the smell was just quite enchanting it really was and um yeah so i'm going to be um finding a 
good spot for that. But as you yeah. can see, it's it says um, it, it says on the label that it's moderately frost tolerant. Yeah. So yeah, yeah. So that's good, and it will grow in in a bit of shade. But um, I think that we've sort of known the native jasmine supposedly as being the pandaria species. That's exactly Whereas right. This yes. is actually a true jasmine. A true jasmine. Yes. Jasmine. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Um, it's a very pretty looking plant. Yeah, and I mean, I, mean, I, I didn't realise that Australia does have a few species of, mm. of native jasmine. Mm. I think they're mostly native to, to China and yeah. you know other other parts of the world. But yeah, we, we have a, we have a few species apparently. So okay. that, that's a new yeah. to me plant, which I'm, I'm looking forward to. Um, yeah, getting out there. So, um, but yeah, Fantastic. some of some of the others I've brought in, I, I, I pretty much brought in just because um, this is just. Whoops! Just a, as the pots go flying, a, a pot of uh, a small pot of lavender, which I um, recently potted up from a tube, and another one that I brought in is a um, Ostromertus dulcis, which is the midgenberry. Yeah. And the reason I brought them in is because they were all sitting out on the same table in the frost. Yep. And they don't. They haven't even blinked at the yep. frost, you know. And they're they're quite small, but because they've been out there for mm. a few months now, you know, I'm caring for them getting they're getting their water but they're just completely exposed to the elements and you know it it just is is fantastic to see what plants actually do thrive Mm. in those situations so they've they've been hit probably by three frosts now yeah and um haven't blinked at all yeah so um yeah it really does go to show you Mm. can have a garden Mm. that's um is is not frost tender yes Indeed. So, yeah, yep. quite exciting. And and my last plant that I brought in, this I got this when I was down at Rorema, Rorema oh. and um, I, it really harks back to my childhood. And it's funny, you know, what I was saying earlier mm. about that link between generations. Um, yes. Um, I grew up in South Africa, and this isn't a South African plant, but um, my maternal grandmother had it in her garden, and it's the yesterday, today, and tomorrow. Okay, okay. Yep. which is the I always go to call it Brugmansia, but it's Brugmansia, and this is um, um, a dwarf form, which I didn't even mm. know existed, and mm. the the normal. Um, size plant grows to you know it can, it can get up to something like four meters tall mm. um, which is far too big for me because I just wanted to keep them in a pot and um, but this this one grows I think it's about one and a half um, two meters so I'll, I'll keep I bought two and they'll they'll go in pots but it's just those delightful flowers which turn from you know the the deeper purple to the lighter lavender and finally to the white and you have the three colored flowers on the on, on the, the plant bush, on yes. the one bush at once and again that just that beautiful smell so um, which uh, there's a couple of um, plants that I see sometimes down on, on South Road in Brighton and really big bushes and um, it just takes me straight back to my childhood whenever I just get a whiff of that mm-hmm. of that delightful smell. So, um, yeah, I couldn't resist that. Not exactly rare and unusual, but, um, yeah, it takes me back to my childhood, so could not resist. Important place. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> oh, goodness, we have a few callers. We must uh, get to them. First up we have Gwen Elliott. Good morning, Gwen. Good morning, everyone. Hi, Gwen. Hi, Gwen. Hi, hi. Um, earlier on you were talking about um, remembrance plants and things, and I just thought I'd share with you what we did many years ago, just in case it helps somebody out there. Um, it's probably about 30 years ago now since my mum died, um, and, you know, you've always got the, the situation of what are you going to do with the ashes. Um, I know a fr- friend's... Uh, 
the um the the man had died and so the the wife um scattered the ashes in the front garden now that's also many years ago but the situation now is that she should really not be living in that house you know it's much too much for her but she feels she can't leave because he's in the front garden <laughs> oh dear but, you know that can be a problem but what we did with mum's ashes we got um a large pot and um, put the ashes um, in the pot, you know, with the potting mix and that, and planted a rosemary. And, of course, rosemary is traditionally the plant of remembrance. Uh, and after a period of time, we took cuttings off that rosemary plant uh, and potted them up. You know, they struck, of course, and gave plants to all the children and all the grandchildren. So that is sort of left... if. It's, I don't know what has happened to all those rosemary plants, but that is up to them as to what they've chosen to do with those plants that were, um, you know, designed to remind them of Grandma. Mm, mm. Lovely. So, you know, that's something that in our family has worked quite well, really, um, as I said, particularly rosemary being uh, the common name or mm. regarded as um, a plant of um, remembrance. And also the fact that... Rosemary is fairly easy to grow in a wide range of situations. You know, it's not something drop dead gorgeous that it's going to yeah. die on them and they think, yep, oh my goodness. Keep... Yeah. Yep. So um, you just thought I'd share that little thought, mm. you know, in case it helps anybody who's mm. listening. Um, Gwen, I'm, I just add, and this is something that I just learnt recently on an Encouraging Women in Horticulture um, trip that I went on to, um, part of it was at the Faulkner. Cemetery and some of the work that they're doing there. Um, but apparently ashes are very alkaline. So you may have been lucky in growing a rosemary because they don't mind alkaline soil. But you do, if you were thinking about doing this, you might need to be a bit careful about what you planted in the pot because if you've got a lot of ashes in there, it can... Um, they can be quite alkaline. So I just thought I'd mention that because that was something that I discovered just mm, the other day. Because mm. um, yeah, the they've, they've got, got a bit of... This... Um, in the old terms, it's probably... Oh, I can go into the new terms. It might be 60 centimetres across and at least that yeah. in depth. It's a big... You'd need to put a, it in a big pot. A big ceramic yeah. pot yes. that it's yeah. in. Yeah. Uh, and, uh, you know, OK, there'd be a bit of... Um, uh, pH change there, but I think there was enough potting mix there that um, the rosemary was able to cope. But that's an yeah. important point to make too. Yeah. Mm. Okay, that's okay. it. I just thought it might help just one person who's listening, and if so, exactly. well, good. Yeah. Absolutely. That's Thanks, great. Thanks, Gwen. Thanks. Okay, you might have suggestions of better plants than rosemary. No, rosemary's perfect, I think, in that because you can and you can take cuttings so easily mm, to pass right. them on. That's so, right. Yeah, yep, I think it's yep, a lovely yep. idea. Okay. Okay then. Have fun. Bye. 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 Right. Next up, we have Gloria, who's out in Bulleen. Good morning, Gloria. Oh, good morning. Um, so, yes, <laughs> I almost forgot what I was going to ask you. No, I haven't. <laughs> <laughs> gall wasps. Yeah, citrus yeah, gall wasp and right. frost. Right. I did tell. It's probably why they ask. Uh, by the way, I have to tell you, raw raymer is one of my. Favorite ah, good. Have you I, been to the display garden yet? I have. Is I it? have. I, I have a, well, somebody who comes down, he's got a native tree farm nursery in Grafton. So I said, I've got a great surprise for you. And we went out there and he was absolutely mesmerized by it. Because the sculptures are so interesting. That's right. Yeah. It's, it's not just the plants. Yeah. Yeah. Look, um, I was 
telling the woman on the phone that I run around the house in the morning listening, carrying my little phone, uh, radio with me, <laughs> and I heard the end of what Penny said about the gore wasps. And did you say you soaked them? Oh, this is when you've cut them out of the yeah, tree. Yeah, yeah. I realise that. You, yeah, yeah, there are two different ways of dealing with them because I don't think we should be just throwing them into the green waste because they of will just... Yeah. Um, uh, you can drown them underwater, so put okay. them in a bucket and just put water over the top of them and leave them to rot. For how long? Um, you need to leave them for about a month. Okay, because normally what we do, and I've never liked this, we wrap them up in a plastic something and throw them in the black bin. Yeah, well, I you see the other thing you can do them do with them is wrap them in plastic and put them, seal it and put it out somewhere in a oh, sunny in a, position, in sun. yeah. and then you cook them yeah. or put them on a bonfire or put them on a bonfire. Yes, uh, yeah. there you go. So the other thing that I just heard the end of you were talking about frost, and I had the first frost in thirty-one years. Oh goodness, yeah. believe it. But um, you said I, I heard you in the distance saying something about watering. What was that? Oh. Yeah, if you if you um, go out and you find that your plants are heavily frosted, yeah. and this is before the thaw, um, you can water them, and that actually gets the frost off and stops the damage from happening. Okay, it seems counterintuitive, yeah, yeah. yeah. but it, it does work. Okay, but you've got to, as Pam, said exactly the yeah, same. As Pam thing. says, you've got to be prepared to go out there and look at them, and yeah. even sometimes watering them the night before works. Really? Um, I yeah. would have thought they would have encouraged the frost. Yeah, apparently not because, okay. yeah, it just changes the temperature situation. And, right. Yeah. Okay. Great. Anyway, thank you. Okay. Have a wonderful Pleasure. show as normal. Thank, thank you. Thanks. thanks. Bye-bye. Bye. Right. Next up we have uh, Christine in Preston. Morning, Christine. Oh, hello. Good morning to everyone. Hi, Christine. Hi. Um, Hi, I planted um, a cutting of a perennial basil in January and it went really well and it grew about two feet and had flowers and it's all great. Um, now it's lost all its leaves and there's just bare branches. Will it come back? Um, Christine, two questions. One is that a certain large um, company that has um, sells hardware as well as plants was selling perennial basil um, that was actually that a basil-scented mint. Um, so do you, is it possible that what you bought was actually a mint? Um, because um, in that, that case, it would have, a friend. in that, in this case, well, she they, may have bought this as well. In that case, it would die back to ground level and you'd, you'd have dead stems, but little leaves just above the ground if it's the mint. So did it have a minty smell as well as the basil smell to it? No, it had a real okay. basil. All right. It it's probably um, is then a true of... perennial basil, um, which means yeah, it's an osimum. So. Um, and probably the answer is probably not, I'm afraid. The perennial basils oh, are, no. are perennial <laughs> in warm climates, not in our climates. I, Re- relatively perennial oh. basil. Yeah. yeah. Well, just not. I'll it, sort they, of scrape the. Um, they can't take the cold. I'll scrape um, the branches. And it, it's it's oh, possible okay. that if you just leave it, um, it will come back in spring. But that has not been my experience of it, particularly if it gets wet as well as, as well as cold. They just oh. don't like the cold oh, and the wet. Um, so, but oh, look, you my can. Sister's in, um, yeah, you can get perennial she's basils. In WA and she's got one. Yeah. yeah, yeah, you can get perennial basils fairly easily if you and if you have a friend who's got one, take a cutting in spring, um, but grow it in a pot where you can move it under cover in winter. 
okay. Because it was lovely. Yeah, there's it some... Was just, be- it just grew so well, yeah, because yeah, obviously in March. But There are some beautiful perennial basils around with all sorts of different scents and flavours and, uh, you know, they're well worth hunting out if you can. Yeah. Oh, okay. So I'll I'm do sorry. That okay, thank you very much. Yeah, no, that's okay. We won't thank shoot you. the messenger. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Right, uh, a listener has asked, where did AB get her dwarf Brunsfelsia? Yeah. Uh, so that was from the same place as the next person who asked, please mention the name of the nursery near Geelong that uh-huh. has the amazing sculptures. And um, both the answers to both questions are uh, Ro, Ro Raymer, um down at Lara, so Ray Raymer Nursery and Display Garden. And um, definitely well worth a trip down there. I know that Lyle, with his his sculptures are quite amazing, and um, he over the years he has collected, um, you know, truckloads of rusty metal. And you know, it, it, it all sounds a bit dubious, but at one point he had one entire skip bin that was filled with a chain. So it was a chain from a ship. And it, the skip bin itself weighed five ton or something with this single Goodness. chain, and now the chain has been laid in various places around around the garden. And um, I don't know if, if people who have been travelling down that way remember seeing um, sort of a raised um, kind of conveyor-like bridge on the way down there with uh, concrete with holes in the side, and that was actually a um, conveyor belt um, for the old Geelong lime mines. Oh, right. And um, that was uh, disassembled a few years ago, and... Um, Lyle picked himself up a piece, which was eight ton for one piece, and that is now a bridge that leads into the display garden. So there's this lovely sense of history about the place as mm. well. You know, every artefact has got its own story, and um, I think that's one of the things that that you love. And it's the same kind of thing that, you know, when you when you read a really good book and there's all these different stories on different levels, you know, when you go to the these gardens and find out about, you know, the, all the stories behind, you know, the sculptures and the plants and things like that. Then, And every garden has them, you know. You've, you, we've all got our own stories in our gardens. Um, a lot of um, our... Um, Hard landscaping comes from different places like Monsalvat, you know, when they disassembled one of the large sheds there, we yes. got some of the tin. So, you know, we've got that there. We've got a lot of the old Port Melbourne Pier that forms bridges itself at our place and, and um, areas that you can look over the river. So it's just, you know, really linking in that history and mm. I suppose making plants and and artefacts live on even longer but in, in a new way. So, exactly. And, um, yeah, so Lyle has done that, you know, en masse down at Roraima. And, um, the, yeah, so the nursery is, is at uh, Swan Street in Lara. So it's literally just off the freeway. So... You know, if you're toing and froing um, down the down the west coast, it's certainly worth a trip. But um, allow yourself, you know, at least an hour and a half, I'd say, to wander around everywhere and um, and and load up the car eventually. So, and I did go past uh, only two weeks ago. So I double checked on the spelling. <laughs> oh yes, yes, R O R A I. I left out the I. R O R A I M A. Yes, so, a, lo- a lot of people say. Roy Raymer, yes, but, uh, because but you you think the eyes there, but yeah, so it's Roy Raymer. Roy Raymer, no, named Roy. after Mount Roy Raymer, which um you know it's got three borders: Brazil, 
Guyana and Venezuela. Okay. And it's one of those um, Tapui mountaintops. So it's, um, you know, sheer cliffs the whole way around. And mm. it's because it's so sheer, it's almost like this island in the middle of the forest. So it's all this unique flora and fauna mm. that have evolved there, which, um, you know, it's the reason why Lyle named his nursery after it because he backpacked around the world looking at plants in habitat. And one of his favourite destinations was Mount Roraima. And um, it, it just seemed really fitting, you know, because he's got this kind of otherworldly area of all these I think plants. that's great. It is, yeah. Yes. Plants from around the world that, um, that yeah, it, it just made total sense. So Absolutely. Yeah, so definitely well worth a, mis- a visit. I must, every time I drive past it, I think, oh, I must allow more time. Yeah, yeah. yeah but yeah. anyway, I will get there very soon. And, and they do have um, a coffee a coffee caravan there as well. So yeah. uh, I know that um, his, his daughter, who's um, starting to get into orchids herself, Nissa, she, um, she makes the coffee there and it was quite delicious coffee. So, yeah. Even if you go early, you can get yourself a caffeine fix. (laughs) (laughs) If you can find it. They've got all these signs everywhere, display garden this way, coffee over that way, and then you sort of walk and before you know it, you've lost your sense of direction or you've been caught up by a particular plant and forgotten which way you were going. And yeah, Very easy to get lost. They they do need to come up with a map, I think. (laughs) (laughs) That's great. Um, I just should uh, very quickly uh, re-mention that – If people haven't decided what they're doing uh, today, the Winter Grafting uh, Heritage Fruit Tree Grafting Day is on today. Uh, Down at Werribee Park Heritage Orchard, uh, you enter via Gate 5, K Road in Werribee. Starts at 10 o'clock this morning, running through until 3 o'clock this afternoon and free entry for that one and lots of wonderful information and things to see down there. We've run out of uh, time for yet another week. Um, a huge thank you to uh, to the team and also to Jan, who's been handling all the calls this morning. As I mentioned earlier, we will be back again uh, next week at 7.30. But until then, bye for now.